podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by the Game Time app. Football is back, MLB playoffs are heating up, and your favorite artists are on tour. But did you know you can go to events like these for half off when you buy last minute with Game Time? It's the fastest growing ticketing app that guarantees the lowest price on tickets to sports, concerts, and shows. So download Game Time, create an account, and redeem code PODCAST for $20 off your first purchase. Again, that's PODCAST for $20 off. Terms apply. Download Game Time. Last minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. I'm Sam, and I co-host the Scott Holm Podcast, the known universe's first Houston Cougar sports podcast. Every week, even during the offseason, my co-host Dustin and I come on and talk everything current as it relates to the Cougs, and every so often, we'll bring on UH luminaries like Carl Lewis, Kellen Sampson, and a number of other fantastic Cougar voices, and as proud members of the 1012 Network, we also find the time to talk about our future conference and future opponents in the Big 12 as well. If all of that sounds even a little bit interesting to you, we would love it if you subscribe to the Scott Holm Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and everywhere else you put podcasts in your ears. That's podcast spelled P-A-W-D cast because the two of us hosting the show are nothing if not big dork so thank you and go Cougs. and welcome back to the rock chalk podcast i am your host andy Mertz. today we are Finally, previewing the first game of the season for the Kansas Jayhawks on the football field. We've been talking about it for more than 100 days, but we've been doing that 100-day countdown over on Blue Wings Rising. We are right at the end. Got something real special planned for tomorrow, being Friday, uh, for the end of that series. So, um, look, we are we are had plenty to talk about. Um, both with Kansas itself, and I was fully prepared to spend a good 35, 40 minutes talking about this game and expectations. But a whole bunch of other stuff happened today, or and, and like the last couple days here, that we need to talk about. To help me do all of that, I have, coming back to the podcast, Brendan Dwarzynski uh, from, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I feel really bad. Uh, it's uh, WIBW FM over in Topeka, but I completely forgot the name of your afternoon show. Brendan you can uh, mock me mercilessly now. Go right ahead. No, fine. In fact, it's perfect because we have reformatted our schedule since the last time I was on. So this is perfect for you. Uh, no, WWWAM out at Topeka. That's 580 AM. Uh, you can check us out online as well. Just search for it. Any radio app you want. Uh, I'm on every single day, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 PM. It's simply just 580 Sports Talk. Myself, my co-host, right. Dan Lucero. Duh. So yeah, check it out. We, uh, a lot to get to with the Big 12. Thankfully, this week, we've been talking all about it. Uh, Brett McMurphy reports have been a major source of content. So uh, plenty of KU talk, plenty of Big 12, get to the Chiefs and Royals as well. So, yeah, that is every Monday through Friday, 580 Sports Talk on 580 WIBW on its Pika. Yeah, yeah, we had to get that plug in early because I'm liable to forget with all the stuff that's going on here. So jumping right into the news, like I think the biggest news, the one that I wrote about first over at Blue Wings Rising was the uh, the news that Fox and ESPN have agreed to start discussions about potentially making media deal changes. So like extending the contract or, you know, negotiating the new contract, something to that extent. But, you know, I, I find it very interesting because it wasn't more, you know, it was Back in May of 2021, before Oklahoma and Texas, you know, announced that they were leaving to the SEC, where the Big 12 approached those two networks and tried to get them to go ahead and start negotiating the next deal early, and they weren't interested at all. So it, it tells you that there's a big difference you know, in the landscape right now. I think it does make a lot of sense for a lot of different reasons for a lot of different people that are involved here. But when you heard that, like when you saw that news come across, what was like your big reaction to it? My big reaction was three words, three alliterative words. It's big balls, Brett. Brett Yormark is as aggressive as I think I ever could have dreamed of for the next Big 12 commissioner. And look, I don't I don't necessarily have any personal animosity toward Bob Bowlesby. I mean, Bob Bowlesby gave gave me radio content a handful of times at Big 12 Media Days. And, you know, I, the few interactions I had with him personally were pleasant enough. But I cannot imagine going into this next era of the Pac-12 teetering on the brink and the Big Ten and SEC in this massive arms race and Bob Bowlesby leading this conference with whatever reactionary, super delayed, well, let's wait for everyone else to have it play out first before we act kind of style. 
that, that's not going to work in this era and in this next stage of Big 12 history. Brett Yormark came in and he was, you know, this hotshot entertainment pro sports guy who's worked on some of the big deals for NASCAR and the Barclays Center and all these different things in the past. And I think some folks, when he his hire was first announced, were maybe a little trepidatious about, well, this, you know, an outsider is one thing, but this dude is way out of the realm of, of college sports in general, let alone the Big 12. I mean, this, this is an East Coast guy. This is a Northeast guy. This guy doesn't know flyover country. He doesn't know the Big 12. I have been extremely impressed now that we are one full month into his tenure at the way he has approached the job and at what he has done so far. Now, I stopped short of saying accomplished because we don't exactly know what is to come. We still need to find out what the next media deal is going to look like, what the dollar figure is going to be. Will there be further expansion? Is that what's best for the Big 12? I personally believe so. If you can add in Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, the four corner schools, sorry to the state of New Mexico and its public schools, but the four corner schools, is that what's best for the league? And again, I think so. And if Brett Yormark does, he has done enough and been aggressive in the right ways so far that I would trust his decision. Okay, yes, that is the right thing because you think that is the right thing. And the fact that they saw the Pac-12 and the Pac-12's perceived advantage that, hey, Maybe we're in trouble because Oregon's got wandering eyes. There's a report from Brett McMurphy on Wednesday night this week that Washington has now spoken to Big Ten officials as well. Yeah, okay, well, we're in some trouble, but we get to go to the bargaining table first and we get to talk to our media partners first, find our new contract before the Big 12 does. Maybe that gives us a little bit of stability. Brett Yormark says, all right, bring it on. We're just going to go early. We're going to start these meetings earlier and we're going to get on that same level it's an option that is so obvious and yet seemed to get absolutely no discussion or traction over the last month or so when this has been bandied about so much so to me he is being aggressive in all the right ways he's pushing all the right buttons and I think it's exactly what this league needed and what all of its member teams needed going forward and it's pretty exciting in a way because part of me and I'm sure you feel similarly Andy part of me wants to just say can we just get to football or, or in basketball when we get to the winter? Can we just start talking about games and Tennessee Tech and the Big 12 schedule and wins and losses for KU or whatever Big 12 school? But part of me also thinks I'm excited for this to be behind us because I think we're going to a point where the Big 12 is going to come out a winner or at least the biggest winner outside of those massive mega power conferences in the Big 10 and the SEC. Yeah, I mean, and, and kind of to your point, right, like Brett Yormark was the – commissioner that we didn't know that we needed right like i i coming through this process and realizing how important media deals are going to be now moving forward um you know it does show a little bit of foresight on the on the part of the president's like to realize that the next big question right for the big 12 was going to be what can you do with that new media deal and that was before we knew about you know the pac-12 potentially falling apart and usc and ucla and the big 10th media like mega media deal like before all of that happened that was the big issue, right? And so that's what I think a lot of people didn't give credit for when, you know, you go and you look at Brett Yormark. There, there is something to be said about focusing too much in on one issue. But if you really think about it, with the with already knowing how the SEC was going to start outpacing people with the amount of money that they made, that was the big question. The only way to bring stability to a conference like the Big 12 is to make sure that they're getting enough money that they don't have a really good reason to jump, like to make it automatic because the money's just so much ridiculously better. And so... This media deal was always going to be important. The fact that USC and UCLA moved and, you know, went to the Big Ten and the Big Ten got a gigantic mega deal, like, that just made it even more important. But this was why Brett Yormark was brought in, was to handle media negotiations, like, to use his his foresight and use the experience that he has in the media world to put the Big 12 in the best situation possible. Now, I, I definitely think it was a high-risk, high-reward type of situation because you do have questions about all the other aspects of actually leading a conference and making sure, you know, that the, that all the players in the room aren't like sniping at each other and all that stuff. But, um, you know, this was, this was the reason he was brought in and he's passing with flying colors. I do think the reason that most people did not really give that a reasonable, um, you know, kind of, I guess, expectation of it happening, right? Was because it was just a year and a half ago that ESPN and Fox basically said, no, we have no interest in renegotiating anything with you right now. 
and and I do think at least on ESPN's part, that's because they knew, hey, guess what? Oklahoma and Texas are leaving. We don't want to re up this and give you a you know a good chance to stay together. But even for Fox, it didn't necessarily make sense because they were still looking at the Big Ten, trying to figure out what they were going to do there. And it turns out that they were already building their own coup essentially to to you know set up their huge mega deal with the conference and, and be like the face of the Big Ten essentially. So like it's it makes a perfect sense why they didn't do it back then. But it also then makes sense why now it, you know, they're going to go ahead and do it because the Big Ten already has their media deal. Everyone already knows about Oklahoma and Texas. The SEC, like at this point, um, you know, there's not really much movement left for them. ESPN doesn't have anything kind of in the fire. And ESPN is at a point with ESPN Plus where they really, really need content. And I, like I was reading it, I, I don't I don't remember the like where the source traced all the way back to, but I saw a few people tweeting about it online or on Twitter. You know, talking about how of all of the assets from all the conferences, all the sports that the that ESPN has that play predominantly on ESPN Plus, the only one that actually makes them money and drives subscribers to the service is the Big Twelve contract, and so it's it's a hugely important contract for them to have that streaming. Um, you know, they weren't able to get any of the Big Ten streaming. That's what you know. That was a big problem for them. They might be able to get Pac-12 streaming. Like, that's a good opportunity for them. But is that going to be enough? The, the Big 12 has really helped to populate that service for quite a long time. It's to the point where it's hard for me to imagine the Big 12 not on ESPN+. Plus. As much as I hate having to have ESPN+, Plus to be able to watch all the games that I want to watch, like, it, it it's so synonymous and it makes so much sense that as long as ESPN is going to actually pay the fair market value for it, like I wouldn't want them to leave because that is a that is a home that they're known for. It is the niche that they have that gives them a bunch of extra value. And so now is the perfect time to go ahead and and start talking about what the next thing looks like. And it does take away the you know small bit of leverage that the Pac-12 had at this point because that was the other you know the other consideration why all the re- all the realignment talks went on hold why. You know, Pac-12 media members that are so desperate for the Pac-12 to survive were able to kind of hang their hat on the fact that, oh, well, the Pac-12 is going to be able to get their media number, you know, 18 months or so before the Big 12. Well, now that's that's not going to happen. Like, I still think the Pac-12 will have their number before the Big 12 has their number. But the fact that the Big 12 is already having these discussions, that tells me that your mark already has an idea of what they're going to ask for, what type of package they're going to put together. And it's just a matter of getting Fox and ESPN to sign on. I think ESPN's over a barrel that they need that much content that they're not going to be able to turn down a reasonable offer. Obviously, if, you know, if, if the Big 12 went in and said, hey, we want 900 million, you know, for a, for a seven year deal, like something pretty close to what the Big, like, th- there's no way that that's going to happen just because of the schools that we're talking about that are involved. But, uh, talking about for the, for the Big 10, you know, there is no USC, there is no UCLA in the Big 12. So, like, as long as the Big 12 is reasonable and gets themselves to a reasonable number, somewhere in like the 60 million a year range is like probably the ceiling. That's more than enough to feel really comfortable as a Big 12 school to look at other possibilities as well. And that takes away all the leverage that the Pac-12 has because I don't see a way that the Pac-12 gets more than about 40 million. And, and a $20 million gap, that is a lot per year when you're talking about whether it's worth staying with a Pac-12 that you still don't even know. Like, the Big 12 could come back raiding next year. There's been talks about they might raid pretty quickly because of the way the escalators and their media deal has has really been set up. So, yeah, your mark was the perfect hire that they didn't even know that they needed that put them in the perfect position to be able to jump on this opportunity now that all the other stuff that was in the way has kind of reconciled. So I give the Big 12 presidents big props for kind of focusing in on this issue. I definitely think they lucked into the fact that it became the issue instead of just one of the most important issues. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you, you have to feel good about having a guy like your mark, you know, at the helm leading this when it is the biggest question that will determine the survival of the conference. Well, and the other nice thing in the big 12's position too is, and I want you could say, Oh, well, the big 12 is stable because nobody wants Kansas or Oklahoma state or whoever else. But here's the other thing. You can be on the attack here. Like the Pac-10 slash 12 slash 8 or whatever it's going to be in the near future, if it even exists in the near future, they're on their heels right now. Because again, Oregon has made it very clear that they are looking to leave. Washington has now made it very clear that either A, they're actively on the pursuit of another option, or they're just going to jump on and be hangers on to Oregon, who's 
understandably the bigger brand here and bail out. There's been talk. Now, I don't know how much Stanford or Cal are actually engaged in this or if their names are just being thrown out as rumors. There's been talk about them possibly eyeing an exit at some point. There have been very obvious overtures through the media, through chancellor's meetings, regents meetings, whatever, and then just, you know, bloggers and podcasters like you and myself talking about, well, the four corner schools make a ton of sense. I mean, they make a massive amount of sense for the Big 12. One conference is in a place where it can attack and go get what it wants and make different plans to get what it wants. The the Pac-10, what do they do if they don't like a deal? Like if ESPN comes out and says, you know what, uh, 20 million a year per school. That's it. We, we will give you not a penny more. What are they going to do? Say no and just disappear. And you know, it could be ESPN or Fox or CBS or Turner or Amazon or whoever. It doesn't matter if they say, well, yeah, that's what we're going to give you. Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever. I just call it Pac-10 now since USC and UCLA yeah. are on the outs. Like, what do you do? You, you're not in a position to really say no, because you're just striving for survival, which is why I'm of the belief. And I, I actually tweeted this out in regard to that Washington uh, report from Brett McMurphy. I, I said it on Wednesday night, like Arizona, Arizona state, Colorado, Utah, the door's open. I, I mean, what would you rather be in a conference that has its most powerful remaining members already eyeing an exit? The biggest market teams that are currently in the league are on the way out within the next couple of years. Everybody is looking for a way out. They just don't want to publicly say it at this point. And You've got some reporters like Jason Shear from Wildcat Authority and 24-7 who's pretty much saying, yeah, Arizona wants out. Like, they, they want to get out of here as soon as possible. Why, why not come to the Big 12? And you made the point, too, Andy, that it would make sense that the Pac-12 would know it's for sure guaranteed this is what you're we're offering you number before the Big 12 would from Disney, ESPN, from Fox, from whoever. At the same time, I don't think you can – count out some underhanded tactics here from the TV networks and the media conglomerates because they've proven for years and years and years and decades and decades, they're willing to do that to get exactly what they want. The old Big East doesn't exist anymore because ESPN and Disney essentially said, we don't want it to exist anymore. And now we have the new Big East, not a Disney property, significant to note, and the American Athletic Conference they have tried to tear apart the big 12 and to a degree did. I mean, the big 12 as we knew it is dead and soon will be, you know, completely buried in the ground when Oklahoma and Texas leave, but the conference has done enough to stay alive and to stay relevant. And now if you're the big 12, you're Brett Yormark and you're going to ESPN and Fox and you say, Hey, look, put, put us wherever you can fit us. We know that the sec and to a far less degree, the ACC are your prime things here. No, we'll, we'll play your 11 o'clock games. That's fine. You can put us in all four time zones. If we add these other schools, there's value here. There is value to being the third best. I'd rather be third than be completely eliminated. Right. I would rather be third behind the sec and the big 10 than not exist whatsoever. So yeah, we'll play We'll play a couple basketball games a week on ESPN+. Plus. Those non-conference games against FCS and Low G5, okay, sure, those go on ESPN+. Plus. Or, you know, Fox, hey, we'll, we'll commit to G- often being the big noon Saturday game. Or we'll give you the Pac-12, well, what was formerly Pac-12 after dark, boom, Big 12 after dark, that's when Colorado, Arizona, BYU, that's when they'll all play. Yeah, I think exactly. the, big, the Big 12 is in a spot where there are just so many options here Whereas the Pac-12, and if you really wanted to get into the weeds, you could even say the ACC, they just need to survive. They just need to find some way to have any stability. So I I like the position that the Big 12 is in. And again, I think it it comes down to the presidents and chancellors and the regents. They obviously have the most say in all this. But having a leader who has a goal and is driven to get that goal accomplished, like to be frank, a ruthless entertainment business businessman that's the perfect thing for this conference at this point because even if you don't get everything you want well guess what you're going to get more than the pac-12 is going to get yeah and that's really what it is at this point and you know kind of to your point about how you know the big 12 supposedly has stability because that's like they don't have any more brands that people want what it's not that they don't want those brands it's that those brands themselves are not big enough to move the needle like a usc a ucla a texas and an oklahoma i'm sorry but there's you know those four brands are probably, you know, four of the top eight most influential brands in all of college football. So it's like if they're going to move and you have an opportunity to get them, you, you know, turn over, you, you like bend whatever you have to bend to get them to come 
to your conference. There are no more brands like that in the Big 12 because there's really not very many brands like that in the country to begin with. It's not like mm-hmm. Alabama's looking to move. It's not like Ohio State's looking to move. It's not like Michigan's looking to move. Like, there are teams that could potentially move. Someone like Clemson, like, when they are finally able to move, because they're out of that AC, that horrible ACC media deal that they're in, um, they are another team that on the college football landscape potentially could cause another round of realignment when they're allowed to move because then they're going to be a big enough get, I think, for somebody, you know, maybe like para Florida State with them or something, that that would make a difference for someone bringing it in. And then you figure out what other numbers you have to make work. But a team like Kansas, right, unless Kansas gets really good at football really quickly, their basketball program is not enough to move the needle and to make it necessary to do all the realignment. They might be a nice throw-in if enough other teams are coming to the conference and they need to round stuff out. But Kansas in and of itself is not going to move. And honestly, I think if you're looking at Big 12 programs, like Kansas is the only one that has a compelling argument for having a top-tier program in one of the top two sports that says, hey, you want us if you care at all about this particular sport. Unfortunately, it's basketball, which doesn't drive the needle money-wise nearly as much as football. And so... Yeah, the Big 12 is stable mainly because there's just not that many more brands that can move. They've all moved at this point. The Pac-12 has to figure stuff out. And kind of like you said, um, you know, there's just there's so many moving pieces now at this point. Um, you know, this news dropping and like opens essentially the floodgates now for things to start happening. I guarantee there's going to be tons of conversations during the season. There's going to be a ton of stuff happening. But until another big brand is able to move or, you know, the Big Ten decides, hey, we want to pull some teams because we want to help out USC and UCLA to not have to travel as much, then we're not going to see anything actually happen until we get these hard numbers, which are going to happen. So, But speaking of brands, right, college football is not the only thing that has absolutely fantastic brands. And I'm, I'm talking about the fantastic brand that is a sponsor here on the podcast. That would be Home Field Apparel. Home Field Apparel is the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. It's t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers. In fact, Brendan is wearing his Kansas Home Field Apparel right now, the Wave the Wheat shirt, which is absolutely fantastic. They have over 130 different schools. Uh, I, I don't know what the actual number is now. It keeps going up, so I usually just raise it a little bit here and there as I go. But they have a ton of different schools. They have all of the Power 5 schools now at this point, I believe. Um, the Big 12 has everybody uh, that they need. Uh, I'm sorry. All of the Big 12 schools are there at home field. I just got distracted by stuff happening in the, in the background. That's what happens when you do a live read. Anyway, but yeah, so uh, they have fantastic stuff. A great Kansas line. A bunch of great lines for a ton of other different schools. I actually really love the Washington line that they released not too long ago. Um, I have absolutely no affiliation with Washington. I just love the way that those look. That TCU horn frog, you know, with the with the pimp jacket, the the grandfather horn frog. I just I, I love. There's so much stuff that I don't have that I want to get because the logo is amazing, and I have a ton of stuff that I really don't necessarily need, but it looks so great and it feels so good to wear it that I just have to have it. So you too can have a ton of great vintage college apparel by going to homefieldapparel.com. Use promo code CHOCK12. You can get 15% off that entire first order and all orders over $100 get free shipping. All right. So before we uh, jump over to Kansas and start talking about this game, there was a lot more other news, but the main one that I want to hit at this point was, you know, the NCAA made a bunch of changes. The, the board of directors, whatever they're actually governing body is called, approved several changes, including transfer windows for players. Um, I don't know that that's really going to affect a ton of stuff right now. Um, I'm sure that we'll see more implications of that as it comes up. Uh, but there's a few other changes. But the, the main one that jumps out because it affects KU directly is the fact that after the cases that are currently with the IARP, the Independent Accountability Resolution Process, I think is what it's called, um, after those cases are done, that whole committee goes away. And, of course, we kind of knew that was going to happen anyway. They stopped, like, referring things there. But the fact that it's now official, and they've essentially called that to be a failure, um, means a couple different things to me. You know, one, it was honestly, I think, an an ill-fated attempt by the NCAA to deflect the blame for the way that the infraction process goes. Um, They somehow managed to mess it up even more by sending it over to the IARP and then not allowing them to actually do their job. Uh, And then, two... Like, that means that they probably want to get these closed out. We have a definitive date, you know, I think it's June of 2023. It might be July, but one of those two days or two months, that is the drop-dead date of when all of these cases have to be resolved by because that's what the NCAA has said. So 
Hearing that news, Brendan, do you think that affects anything with the Jayhawks, or were we already looking at a, a you know a resolution of their case, hopefully before then anyway? Like I, I would be really worried if the if the original plan was for it to go past next summer. I mean, I feel as though the answer is we should expect something before then, but I was expecting something from some entity in 2019 and 2020 and 21. And now we are entering September of 2022 and crickets, except for the occasional report that, Oh, Hey, they, uh, they're actually investigating more. Now they had to go find more and dig in again and at least restart part of this process. I, I mean, in theory, the IARP is a good idea because it's not directly the NCAA's involvement, right? I mean, it's okay. Well, we've got other people from the college sports space or outside the college sports space and give a more impartial view. Although, as I was told on 580 Sports Talk by friend of the program, Jesse Newell, who is now obviously on the Chiefs beat with the Kansas City Star, but covered KU for a long time. The NCAA made this organization. So to think that it was going to be completely objective from the beginning, probably a little bit naive. I understand the reasoning behind it, but I don't know how you could look at it as a success at this point, or frankly, other than a major failure. I mean, we are there are so many cases that are backed up by this. Apparently, the strategy is that they're just going to release and reveal all of the information and all the findings and final determinations all at once. What? Why? That doesn't that doesn't make sense. I, I just I think in theory it was a good idea in practice. I think it's been a total failure. I don't think it's going to actually impact anything in regard to the timeline to directly answer your question, Andy, but at well, this point I've been waiting for years for this. Yeah. So I, I have no reason to believe this will be released or will have KU findings and final determination anytime before literally the moment this has to drop dead. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because the IRP, like you said, was a very good idea in concept, right? Because the big thing that the NCAA was dealing with was a lot of complaints about the way that they were being impartial, the way that they were essentially finding the evidence that they wanted or ignoring evidence that didn't like fit their narrative and punishing people extremely inconsistently when it was, you know, convenient for them to punish them. Um, you know, there there's a reason why the big joke right now is that Kansas does something and Oklahoma State gets banned for another year from the postseason. Like, it's because it's absolutely nonsensical the way that they actually do the punishments that they, that they you know, have. And, and, and I mean, that, that was the other thing, like, the other announcement today is that they're revamping a lot of that process anyway, regardless of the IARP. But when they created the IARP, they set the expectation that it was going to be an independent body, that they were going to be able to look at the all of the evidence objectively – and be able to come to a resolution that nobody could appeal, and that way it would take away any kind of bias, like any kind of worry about the NCAA really kind of, you know, tweaking things or, like, appealing to the NCAA to try to overturn the NCAA's ruling. Like, you know, same same issue with, like, the NFL and the way that they do their their player discipline right now. Like, you, you appeal to the person who made the ruling in the first place. So, but, like... By setting this up, like, I think that was the right idea. The problem was they weren't willing to go all the way there. They said, we're going to create this thing up that can go ahead and take a look at it. But we want them to go super quickly, only use the evidence that we gave them, and basically come to the same conclusion that we were going to, but allow us to say that it was independent. Like, that, that was really what they wanted. And by giving them the authority to go back and look at things again, to go back and investigate, they, you know, if you're given that power and you think that you need more information to make a, a fair, independent assessment... You're going to go ahead and do that. I think the NCAA just kind of assumed that the IARP, because they were chartered by the NCAA, was going to accept whatever the NCAA told them and run with it and give them kind of the cover that they needed. No, no. These were people that actually took this job seriously and wanted to do their job. And the NCAA did absolutely everything they could to avoid that happening. I mean, there was reports quite a bit that, like, they were working on a settlement, like coming to a conclusion of what Kansas could serve as a punishment that was less than what the NCAA wanted, but it would get the whole thing done with, and we can move on from it. And the NCAA, you know, from from the reports that I was hearing, the NCAA did not feel like it was enough of a punishment for the Jayhawks, and so basically told them, no, sorry, you can't settle this, because it's not in the bylaws, even though they're the ones that wrote the bylaws, and they've changed them by themselves multiple times. So, like, the NCAA shot themselves in the foot with this so many times that now this is really the only way that it can end in complete abject failure that has nothing to do with the actual 
independent uh, process itself and everything to do with the fact that that the governing body of college athletics has absolutely no idea what they're doing and no idea how to fix anything. They just keep making it worse. I think that's sort of what the NCAA does, right? Is they just continually make difficult processes or take things that should be easy and then make them difficult and end up screwing it up in the end. I mean, you can count on one hand or maybe two, maybe if we're being generous to the number of things that the NCAA regularly gets right. Organizing championships, specifically March Madness. Okay, one hand. Yeah, I mean, that's that's essentially it. And this was just another example of that. And it's, I mean, it's something that, again, hurts the member institutions. Like, okay, if you're going to punish KU and not, you know, postseason ban, okay, just just do it. J- j- just get on with it. Let's make this happen. And I think that was the biggest ultimate failing of the IARP is it has just taken so long to the point where I think, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think anecdotally based on conversations I've had, a lot of KU fans, a lot of people around, you know, Kansas or, or even other programs just saying, let's just do it. Like, let's move on with it. Hell, at this point, KU basketball just won a national championship. Like, if you're going to hammer the program, just do it now. Get it over with because yeah. we're still going to ride. We can just ride high for another year. That's fine. We'll just yeah, pretty much. It. I, well, I know, think most people are just sick of it. It would be it would be kind of poetic. Like, not that I want Kansas to get um, you know, to get postseason ban or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it would be poetic, right? If you know yeah. the '88 championship, they were then banned from postseason, and now after the you know 2022 championship, they get banned from the postseason again. Don't want it to actually happen. I think we're going to have a really good team this year. But you know, I, I forget who was a set it, or maybe I came up with this on my own and tried to attribute it to someone else. But just like NFL stands for the No Fun League, NCAA stands for needlessly complicating all actions. Because <laughs> yeah. that's really, really what they do. They make everything a lot more complicated than it needs to be. And it just gets everybody upset because they can't figure out how they actually want to do things. So, all right. I do want to go ahead. It's finally time for us to go ahead and talk about this Kansas football team. But uh, before we get there, we've been going long enough that I think it's about time we throw it to a quick break. So we will be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Current and former athletes, members of the athletic department, and of course, the best fans in the country all make up a very special group we like to call the Cyclone Family. Join me, Jamie Steyer Johnson, as I bring you closer to the people that make Iowa State unique each week on the Cyclone Family podcast. Some names you may know, while others may be new to you, but one thing's for sure, this is one family reunion you won't want to miss each week on the Cyclone Family podcast. And we're back. I am joined by Brendan Dorzinski of 580 Sports Talk over on WIBWAM over in Topeka. Um, we just got done talking about all of the other news, which delayed us talking about really the main reason that we're here. But Kansas, they open up the football season uh, with a game against Tennessee Tech on Friday night. It's the only Friday night of the game. It's actually not the first game, though, of the Big 12 season um, because... You know, West Virginia and Pitt actually play the Backyard Brawl on Thursday night. So it's all kinds of weird at the beginning of the conf- of the schedule. But Kansas opens up on Friday night against Tennessee Tech, an FCS team that from everything that I've been able to find is not a very good team in a very, very bad FCS conference. So I think the line the last I saw from places that were actually giving it was that it was like KU by 33 or something like that, which is I ha- think has to be the biggest line that I have seen that Kansas has been favored by in a football game in a very, very long time. So with all of that as a backdrop, kind of initial thoughts going into this game, what should Kansas fans expect to see out the gate this year? Uh, real quick, for what it's worth, I did see earlier on Wednesday that the line had dropped in certain places to about 28. So not exactly a, a monumental fall, but that is one of those key numbers, one of those multiples of seven. Um, so I, I did see it went down because – I think a lot of people had the same thought I did that, man, I really like Kansas in this game, but uh, 30 plus points is also a lot in a football game. So I'm not so sure. Uh, This is not a good Tennessee tech team. And that's not intended to be insulting. It's just not, I believe this was a three and eight program a season ago. And like you mentioned a bad FCS league, I think KU fans should expect in this game though, what they expect to see, all season. And that is defensively a far more athletic team overall and a deeper team. I think we're going to get, you know, when you play an FCS team and a bad one, I mean, go back to 2016 Rhode Island as an example of this, as 
hey, you can rotate a ton of dudes in because you're up by 28 points in the second quarter or early in the third or whatever. You can get guys in. But I think defensively, especially even earlier in the game when it might not be blowout territory, I think you're going to get a lot of guys rotating in. And I think that is something that this staff has really wanted to accomplish. I mean, if you look at the depth chart, you've got guys who are listed like a Gavin Potter, who I think we know is a decent but limited Big 12 player. He's listed as in or in the starting lineup next to Craig Young, the transfer from Ohio State. And I mean, people who report on the program every day have indicated, you know, Craig Young is it. I mean, he is a dude and the kind of dude this team hasn't had in the linebacker core in a while. He's your real starter, but you'll see Gavin Potter rotate in. He'll get some snaps. The secondary, I don't love all the depth at all the spots, but you've got enough depth, especially at corner. You can see guys rotate in. And I think that's one thing to expect hopefully all year long. Uh, That's a goal for all year. But certainly in this game, I think you're going to see a lot of guys step in in varying situations. Third down and short, potential playbook open to any options there. Third and long, obvious passing situations, whatever it might be. I think defensively, you're going to see that athleticism on display. And that is a credit to all the folks in the program who have worked the transfer portal so hard over the course of the offseason. And that's Lance Leipold and the coaching staff, obviously. That's Scott Aligo, the general manager. That's Rob Ionello. I mean, that's all these guys who have worked that so hard. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways defensively. Offensively, this team is going to run the ball. And this team is going to run the ball all the time. And I would think we'll see both Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean in this game. It'd be, I mean, if it is a something of a blowout like we expect it to be, or at least many people expect it to be, we should see both quarterbacks because KU is in a spot it hasn't been in in a long time with two competent quarterbacks. I I think Jalen Daniels is the better option long-term, but Jason Bean's no slouch. He's also the fastest player on the field whenever he's out there. So we're going to see both of them and probably running the ball plenty, especially when Bean gets some snaps. You've got the deepest running back group I would say a top two or three depth-wise running back group in the conference, if not even higher than that. We know Devin Neal's a stud. I can tell you for sure, having seen him in person when he was in high school and anyone who watched him last year at Minnesota, Kai Thomas is a stud. Daniel Highshaw apparently has had an awesome camp. And hey, if Sevion Morrison is your fourth running back, you're in a pretty good spot overall. So play to your strengths, a veteran offensive line and a ton of really good running backs. Don't put a ton of pressure on Daniels or Bean to complete throws. Let those guys carry the load. You could run the ball 40 times in this game realistically and have, I don't know, 12 carries for Neal, 12 carries for Thomas, eight for Morrison, eight for Highshaw, a couple quarterback runs to bump that number up. You barely even need to throw the ball in this game, and I think you should still be able to find some offensive success. So for me, the overall thing is we should be able to see in this game the at least beginning stages of the themes we want to see all season. A team that will rely on its veteran offensive line and extremely talented depth at running back offensively and on defensively just an influx of athleticism that the team hasn't had in god I couldn't even tell you how long it's been since KU has had this kind of depth and athletic depth on defense so I think just the beginning stages of the themes and the thematic elements we're expecting all year hopefully will be on display because if you come out and all of a sudden KU looks totally different than we expect I mean I'll be happy if it ends in a win but I think I'll be actually more surprised than any other outcome if that is what happens yeah i mean you know i think you hit on all the major points but we can you know feel free to expand on them as we can continue with our discussion because there's a lot there like like you were talking about the depth on this team is something that we have not seen from this team in a really really long time and that's not just because you have you know really great guys at the top and then you know, there's guys that you're like, eh, okay that's fine we can play or we have multiple guys that could play some spot minutes no like we have Multiple guys that if they were your starter, you'd probably be happy. Now, granted, you want to have some of those guys where the fall, you know, the the fall from your starter to your backup isn't super drastic. And I think that's what Kansas has going for it this year. Like, especially at the running back position, like you were talking about, they have four runners that would theoretically either be a starter or share starting minutes with one other running back in almost every other team in the conference. You know, in almost every other Power Five situation, obviously not counting teams like Alabama or you know, like the ones that have seven five stars at the running back position for absolutely no good reason. But like this is one of those things where I think a lot of people forget how good Daniel Highshaw is because he was out for last season with an in, with an injury. His freshman year, he was running over people. Like he was 
completely demolishing linebackers who were, you know, bigger than him, and he was bowling them over to get into the end zone. So, like, Daniel Hyshaw has a power that I don't think you get from anyone else on this team at the running back position. But then you have three speedy guys that can really do a lot, can contribute in the passing game, can do a whole bunch, you know, in Devin Neal, and then Kai Thomas and Sevian Morrison. Like, that allows the the Jayhawks to do what this coaching staff has said that they want, right? Leipold, his big quote coming out of camp was that we want the we want this team to have the same intensity whether we're up by 30 or down by 30. And that's what having so many different players that can rotate in allows you to do. Everybody can give it 100% on every snap because if you have, you know, seven guys that rotate into two spots on the defense, well, you can go all out for two snap for two or three snaps at a time, and then someone else comes in and can do the exact same thing. These players can play with a lot more intensity. They can play a lot more free because they know that I'm probably going to get pulled out whether I play really well or really bad, right? Because we have so many guys that can get on the field that need to get on the field that I could be absolutely killing it out here, but guess what? That other guy's probably going to play really well too, and they're going to keep me fresh for the end of the game when we might need me for a big play. So it allows them to do a lot more in every single situation, and it allows them to have those guys fresh for the end of this of the game because that's what we saw from the Jayhawks last year, like all the time, right? Like they they played really well in the first half. The defense was making huge plays in the first half. Get in the second half, about five minutes into the third quarter. You, te- you can tell guys are gassed, they're missing assignments, not because they don't know what they're supposed to be doing or because they're just not capable of doing it, but because they're sucking so much wind that they can't get over there fast enough. And so this will allow them to be a lot fresher, especially on defense. Flip over to the offensive side, like, yeah, this is a this is a game where you can get so many people involved. I expect to see a lot of offensive linemen play as well. Right? This is a team, and this is the kind of setup that you want when you're still trying to figure out what you're doing with your team, because you can try a bunch of different things. It's probably not going to matter if you have six or seven plays that get absolutely blown up because they just don't work against a team like Tennessee Tech, because you're going to have plenty of opportunities to score elsewhere. Your defense can have plenty of opportunities to get you a big stop to get you back in the game. Like this may be a game because Kansas tries a whole bunch of stuff that they're only up by 10 going into the fourth quarter or something like that, because they're trying so many different things. They're, you know, they're doing so many weird things to see how they work in a game situation instead of just against each other in practice that, you know, they don't pull away like they're supposed to. But I think that's really what you want to be looking for as a Kansas fan. I don't, I don't even necessarily care about the final score. Like I I know that we say that all the time. Like last year, I was a little disappointed when Kansas only won, you know, by three very late in that game. Um, But if you look at it kind of the same way, like this is a team that is still trying to figure out what they need to do. They have a ton of new players. They, you know, sure, they have a lot of returning players that kind of know what's going on somewhat, but they're still getting used to what Leipold and staff want to do. You know, like, they have not had a full 12 months of everything Leipold wants to ha- wants them to do, and so they're still learning at this point. And so, I like, as long as it's not like a we-need-a-hail-mary pass to win the game at the end of the game sort of situation... Like, I think you have to be happy, even if Kansas only wins by a touchdown, because that will give them plenty of opportunity to play a bunch of players. Now, if the starters are in the entire game and they're barely winning, that's a huge problem. That's a huge red flag. But like you said, there's so much depth, there's so much expectation of consistency and then intensity that I just, like, I expect to see in the first half, we're going to have probably 20 different players on defense that are playing significant snaps. Like, you're going to see all of that stuff. You're going to look at the box score. It's going to be the most crowded box score you've ever seen from a Kansas football game because they just have so many guys that are going to be out there. And so, you know, as long as Kansas gets to win and I'm not, like, really, really worried in the last five minutes of this game, I'm going to be completely happy, you know, even if they don't win by a bunch. So um, are, are there any particular players that really jump out to you that you either want to see have a really good game or that you think need to have a good game here to get them set up on the trajectory they need for the rest of the year. I will start on the defensive side of the ball, and I wouldn't say needs to have a good game, but I think one of the position groups I'm most excited to look at and just watch over the course of this game is everyone along the defensive line, including the interior and the guys off the edge. Lonnie Phelps, the transfer in from Miami, Ohio. I mean, it sounds like he was pretty much nailed on as a starter from the minute he committed as a transfer, but he apparently has had a very strong camp so far. I'm excited to see him. I don't know if he's going to be 
Big 12 defensive player of the year, first team all Big 12 kind of guy. But honestly, a guy who's that caliber of player who's been playing that well, I'd like to see him against this FCS offensive line and probably a not very good one. I would love to see him wreck shop in this game, but you've got a really solid starting group on the defensive front. Phelps is the headliner there, but Sam Burt, team captain, sixth year guy coming back from injury. It's such an awesome story. He he is going to be a great recruiting tool for KU going forward. I tell you that. And I don't know what he wants to do as a profession. If he wants to stick around and have some sort of job telling his story for the KU coaching staff, I know they'll keep him around. But he's a very solid player too. He's not just a good story. He's a very solid player in the middle of that defense. I think Caleb Sampson is a guy who they have really high hopes for. And Malcolm Lee or Jeremy Robinson, whoever it is on the other end, they don't even have to be great if those other guys are pretty darn good at all their jobs that's a really solid defensive line I just enjoy watching defensive line football in general I think that's one of the most fun position groups and areas of the field to scout and to watch and to break down during a game so I'm very excited to see how this new look or at least semi new look group for KU performs if I wanted to give you an offensive side of the ball or an offensive position again not that I think this is a necessary you have to perform group I'm interested in the tight ends as well. I think Mason Fairchild has a really high ceiling for KU. He's not been much of a blocker in the past, but he got the number one spot on the depth chart. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to play 85% of the snaps against Tennessee Tech because Trevor Cardell is going to play plenty. I assume Jared Casey, the newly scholarship-owning Jared Casey, by the way. They're both going to get plenty of snaps as well. That's a really interesting group, though, because I think, and this is something I've been told in some interviews we've done on 580 Sports Talk, that KU would like to use the tight end a little bit more. It was more so the fact that they really didn't have an option to because of injury and just because of ineffectiveness for much of last year. Obviously, following the Texas game, Casey became a little bit more of an involved part of the offense. But that's a position where if you've got really strong running backs and wide receivers that might not be top-end talent, but at least you trust, like I would trust Luke Grimm at this point. And obviously not having Trevor Wilson is tough there, and he's suspended indefinitely because of his recent arrest. But Douglas Eliminman, or Eliminman, sorry, I, I Emily, totally I butchered his is. name there. Yeah, totally butchered it one <laughs> way or the other. The, the other transfer from Minnesota. I mean, if those guys can be effective, plus you throw in some tight ends that can that can run wide cross, that can throw a block, that can chip, that can do some basic things, that's going to open up a lot more over the middle of the field for this offense and can open just another threat along with those slot receivers and with that running game. So that's one position I'm going to keep my eye on, especially really the first half of the season to see how they develop. But this would be a great game to try to get some tight end focused concepts in there. And they want to take advantage of Fairchild's receiving ability and say, hey, by the way, we've got this weapon who can work in the intermediate game and maybe even the long game down the field as a passing option. That's huge for this offense. That would truly be big. So that's the offensive spot or offensive position group I'm interested in watching. How much does this offensive staff, Lance Leipold, Andy Kotelnicki, all the assistants, how much do they want to get those tight ends involved early on? Is it a million? I think it's a million. Oh boy, that's, that's gonna, my guess anyway. If that's really what it is, that's going to be a ton of puns, like really bad puns that are made the first time he does something really good. Hawks by a million. Yeah. Oh gosh, <laughs> I am not looking forward to that. Um. By the way, that is going in the podcast. But anyway, so um, yeah. I mean, this is a, there is a lot that you can look at that you want to see. I, I do think that wide receiver is going to be interesting. Because, yes, there's a, a ton of different guys that were expected to contribute. But I do think that Trevor Wilson and Scott Tanaka were expected to be big parts of that rotation. And so you have to figure out how to replace them. Do you move guys around? Do people have to play different assignments? Does someone have to learn something that they weren't going to do? But Tanaka is probably back after the first or second game. Um, have no idea when Trevor Wilson will be back. But assuming he does everything that he needs to do, and, you know, also find does not find himself in jail, I do think that he will be back at some point this season. It's just a matter of when and how much of a contributor is he going to be able to be at that point because I have no idea how far behind he's going to be from everyone else. But I do think it really kind of comes down to that you really shouldn't take any specific expectations into, into Friday night's game because they have so many options and so many different things. Like, I treat this almost like a preseason game in the NFL, right? Like, sure, you may think that you're a much better team, but, you know, this one actually counts, so they will care about the score. 
but they won't care about the margin, I think, nearly as much as you might think. And so they are going to go and figure out what things they can do, what, you know, what uh, combinations work, who has good chemistry on the field to allow them to be able to put themselves forward with the best foot possible. And so, like, I'm not even going to ask you for a prediction. Normally I do a score prediction at this point, but, uh, you know, I think everything we've talked about, there's so many possibilities. And, uh, you know, honestly, I don't really want to make a score prediction when I'd be happy if they won by, you know, 10. I'd be happy if they won by 50. Um, Like, I don't think I would be much happier at a 50-point margin than I would be at a 10-point margin and where they do everything that you want to see from them. So uh, we'll go ahead and leave that portion there. Now, what we would normally be doing at this point would be going and finding a bunch of different picks that we can make from the new sponsor we have here on the podcast in prize picks. But they don't have any Kansas picks, so we'll go ahead and grab some of the other ones that we can look at. But before we actually get into the picks, just a little bit about prize picks for those of you guys that are not familiar with them. Um, you know, they are the easy legal way to play daily fantasy. Um, it's not like your, you know, typical, you build out a whole team and then you have to go up against every other player and whoever has the best overall score wins. This is a way that you can pick, you know, a ton of different stats. You take a look at the projected numbers that the prize pick staff has put together for any individual player, for any team, for pretty much anything you can think of and make your pick, whether they're going to be higher or lower than whatever that number is. Um, you know, before the season starts as well. So like if you get in before the actual action starts on Friday and Saturday, you still have the opportunity to go ahead and pick the over-unders on the season totals as well. Um, but look, this is not like your traditional gambling or anything. These are individual contests where you go and you get, you get your entry, you make a prop pick, and you take the skill that you have, right? And uh, it allows you to make those decisions and potentially make a bunch of money off of it. So um, you can make your, your, your entries in 60 seconds or less on prize picks. They have a fantastic app. I've been poking around on it myself, really enjoying what they have. And if you use promo code chalk 12, when you go to sign up, you will receive a 100% instant deposit match on up to a hundred dollars for your first deposit. So use that promo code, get a whole bunch of free money to be able to go and make some of these picks. And let me tell you, there are some really juicy picks out there. Um, but there are a ton of them out there. It does not look like they have any games where players are going against FCS opponents. So unfortunately, there was no Kansas that, I, that we could pick. But there's a really, really interesting Big 12 game in West Virginia versus Pitt. You know, the first time the backyard brawl has been there in quite a long time. And I took a look at some of these, you know, possibilities. So like, for example, JC Daniels, their number is 250 and a half yards. Do you think he's going to have a great game? Like, I probably would go over on that, mainly because I don't know that I'm sold on Pitt's defense, especially the passing defense at this point. So I think that one will be interesting. But they have a bunch of other ones out here, like rushing yards for Tony Mathis, 54 and a half. I mean, that's it. You can, <laughs> if this West Virginia team is any good at all, I think he hammers that over there. Um, just, I'm going to throw some other ones out here, and, and you feel free to pick a couple that you think are going to are gonna go one way or another. They have Bryce Wheaton. West Virginia wide receiver at 62 and a half receiving yards. Sam James, again, West Virginia, 51 and a half. Uh, back over on rushing, they have the pit running backs. Actually, they have two different pit running backs here. Abinaconda, I think that's how you say his last name, at 58 and a half rushing yards. Rodney Hammond at 49 and a half. Like, they have a ton of different stuff here. Passing touchdowns. They set the line for JT Daniels at one and a half passing touchdowns. And for Keaton Slavis, however you say his name, sorry, I don't know all my pit pronunciations. I believe believe he is Slovis. Slovis, okay. Oh, that's not a great name to have if you're a football player. But anyway, um, they have him at two passing touchdowns even. So going through all those numbers, or if there's, you know, some other number that you want to take a look at, which one of those do you think like jumps out to you the most as like a surefire pick? So my reasoning might sound a little weird here. I'm going to take the over on JT Daniels passing yards. What'd you say? The number was 250. I'm going to take the half, over, yep. 250 and a half. I'll take that over. I think West Virginia is going to have to throw the ball a lot in this game because I think West Virginia is in some trouble. I think Pitt is going to win this game. I think West Virginia very really could be behind for the majority of the contest. I think they'll be forced to throw the ball a lot. Now, by the same token, even when West Virginia is winning in games this year, I think they're going to throw the ball a lot because 
JT Daniels, while he's bounced around to a couple places, he's got a pedigree. I mean, he early enrolled at USC and started as a freshman there for a reason. He transferred to a great Georgia roster for a reason. Now, part of the reason he's at his third school now is because of him. Some of it is unfortunate circumstances at those schools. So I think he's going to throw the ball a ton this season regardless. I think Neil Brown might need him to throw the ball well all season long to save his job going forward, but that's a whole different discussion about Big 12 football. I think you're going to see a game in which West Virginia is probably playing from behind a decent amount, which means they're going to have to throw the ball plenty. So I like the over there for sure with the JT Daniels passing yards. little more shaky on touchdowns there. The Keaton Slovis touchdown number, though, I'm going to go over on that as well because I, again, think Pitt is going to have a good game offensively. I know it's going to be a different-looking team than last year. Obviously, no Kenny Pickett. Obviously, no Jordan Addison. Mark Whipple is gone. He's now at Nebraska. Condolences to him. But I still think that Slovis is going to put up some good numbers in his first game with Pitt. So I'll take the over for his passing touchdowns, and I'll take the over for JT Daniels' yards as well. Yeah, I, I am a little worried about that yards number, mainly because not necessarily because of JT Daniels, but I'm just worried about the wide receiver core, right? Like, are they going to have That's enough fair. in terms of being able to get downfield to be able to get away from pit, you know, cornerbacks or things like that to really do what they want to do? Like, I'm worried about the chemistry of JT Daniels with his receivers that early in the season. Mm-hmm. If this was game two or game three, then I'd feel much more comfortable with that because then they can get the jitters out, you know, against a team this, of this caliber and have built some of that timing, some of that chemistry that they need. I do agree with you. Like, as great as West Virginia's defenses have been in the past, I don't know that they're going to be ready early in the year to go against an offense like this. And yes, you're right. There is no Kenny Pickett. There is no Adonis. You know, like they, they are dealing with a, some significant losses on their part with Pitt. But I, I mean, I, I just think that Pitt has enough returning that it's going to be fairly difficult for West Virginia to immediately hit the ground running. You could see Slovis get, you know, three passing touchdowns in the first 20 minutes of this game. And then West Virginia could lock down on defense and he doesn't throw another one the rest of the game. But there you've already got your over. Like, so like, I I think that this is going to be a up and down enough game. You're right. There's going to be a lot of offense, but I think that West Virginia is going to be a predominantly running team this year. They're probably going to get a lot of their yards on the ground, especially against Pitt. Um, And so, yeah, I'm, I'm worried potentially about that passing yard number, but touchdown wise, I, I think you're spot on. So now, that's just one of the many games that they have available over at Price Picks. You guys head on over there. Again, use that promo code, get that instant match on your first deposit up to $100 and find a game that you like. Whether it's, you know, Spencer Sanders for Oklahoma State, um, or, you know, maybe Aiden O'Connell for, for Purdue. Like you can find games, whether it's Big 12 or not. They're going to have tons of picks on individual players, on individual contests. And, you know, I guarantee that you're going to be able, I, I can think of tons of Iowa State fans that are probably going to go and, you know, pick the under for Spencer Petras of uh, Iowa just because they feel like doing it. So, like, there are tons of ways that you can have a lot of fun over there and potentially make a bunch of money doing it. So, Prize Picks, uh, I think it's prizepicks.app. You can find their app in all of the app stores. Um, and then, but you can also head over. We will have a link to the actual website on the show notes so that you can jump over there immediately from there if you'd like. But, um, yeah, that's, that's it for the pick segment. Normally we'd be wrapping up with, you know, final thoughts about, um, all this, like all the thought, all the picks that we made for KU and all that stuff and, and in general. But again, with none for KU this week, unfortunately we can't do that. But before we get out of here, Brendan, any final thoughts about this game? Any final thoughts about this first week of the season? Or are you just ready for all of this to get started already? Yeah, I'm just so excited that football is back. And I, for a long time during, the the KU football troubles, no offense to the, the people of Ireland, but during the troubles for KU football, there have been a lot of seasons where I've gone in with a lot of optimism. Then several seasons where I think fairly I felt, well, this is going to be bleak from the very beginning. Uh, two years ago, the second less miles year, the COVID year, that was definitely one of those where I thought this is this is not going to go well. But this year, when you look at the talent on this roster, it might not be elite Oklahoma level Big 12 talent, but it's the most talented roster KU's had in a long time. There are players on this team that would play, and and I don't just mean one or two scattered about. There are guys all over this roster who could play for most, if not every other Big 12 team, which to some programs is going to sound like damning with faint praise. That's a big step forward for this KU program, and that is a credit to the philosophy of Lance Leipold, his staff, the 
quote unquote front office, if you will, for KU football as well. There's talent, there's depth, there's legit athleticism. The best running back stable at KU that I can remember in a hell of a long time. I'm just excited it's here. I've got not lofty expectations for this season, but I I hope that the next step is a couple more wins, none of the blowouts, none of those 55 to three games. I think that's the next couple of things that have to be pushed out. And if we get to that this season, this, this program's going in the right direction. I think a lot of people locally and nationally believe that now. And I think my optimism and my hope for that is going to be just strengthened that much more if they can come out and impose their will as much as they're able to against Tennessee Tech. Yeah, I mean, and and kind of to your point, like, I can't, I can't think of how many times, because it's been a lot, where we've talked about, well, once Kansas gets Big 12 caliber players on the roster, like, you know, once once all the players on the roster are Big 12 caliber, I think we're at that point. Like, I, I'm having a hard time, with the exception of, you know, potentially some walk-ons you have on for, you know, depth or potential development developmental players that you think could could get there, but if they had to, like, do it today, they probably couldn't. The vast majority of these players on this roster are guys that belong in the Big 12 that can play, that can compete at a Big 12 caliber level. And sure, they may need some more polish where, you know, in order for Kansas to be able to compete and win games. But I don't think I'm, I don't think I've ever come into a season feeling that the roster belongs in this, in this league as much as I do this year. And so that'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, And hopefully we get a lot of really good plays that we can really be talking about. Uh, you know, to to your point about that optimism coming into the year, like I'm definitely one of those people that has been way more optimistic than a lot of people at times, partly because I just want to believe. But I've also been very realistic at times, right, about this team. Um, you know, David Beatty years, like even in year three and four, it was like year three. Hey, he got the big Texas win. But what did that actually do to this team? Like, how did it change the way people were talking about this team in ways that are completely unrealistic? And so we have seen that. This does not feel like that at all. I talked about it very early in the countdown that this is, you know, this Lance Leipold staff has brought a completely different feeling to this team. There's a level of competence and a level of consistency, which is what his mantra is, that you know that this is not going to be a, the first time things start to go really well, we get overexcited, or the first time they go really bad, we panic. That's not going to happen here. You know, the Iowa State game last year was the perfect example of that where everything went wrong and they stayed the course and it ended up paying off by the end of the season. So this is a team that is going to be very successful at some point. The question is when. I'm not going to spoil them because they should be out on the website by the time you uh, or shortly after you're actually hearing this episode. But we will have our season predictions um, over on a roundtable article that is coming out on Thursday, the same day that this podcast is dropping. So you'll be able to see what Brendan's prediction for the season is and my prediction for the season. And I can guarantee you right now that mine is probably higher than his um, for some pretty good reasons that we won't go into again because I've already talked about it multiple times on this podcast. But that is going to go ahead and do it for us today. Brendan, please remind everybody where they can find all of your work covering the Jayhawks. Yes, y'all can find me on 580 WIBW Radio out of Topeka, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. Jayhawks time. That's 580 Sports Talk with myself and my co-host, Dan Lucero. And you can find my sometimes hot, sometimes garbage, usually fairly rational takes on Twitter as well, at Brendan DZW. And, of course, Brendan is one of the writers that we have over at uh, Blue Wings Rising. We really appreciate all all the contributions he's had over there. Um, You know, but... For me, you guys can find me, of course, on Twitter at AndyMitz12. Um, you know, I talk a lot more uh, Big 12 in general stuff over on the 1012 podcast every single Monday. Um, looking forward to the one that's going to be coming up this Monday because no matter how this week goes, there's going to be plenty of stuff to talk about. And I'm sure I'm going to get completely upset about something, even if it's nothing KU related at all. But that is going to do it for us today. Brendan, thank you so much for joining me. If you guys have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, where it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe, get every episode as soon as it comes out. Give us a rating and a review. Five stars, nice comments would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. Really do bring the podcast. You guys get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want me to try to interview, anything like that, Contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. 
We are part of both the 1012 Podcast Network and now the Sports Drink Podcast Network. A ton of great podcasts on both of those networks covering not just the Big 12, but also all of college football and a whole bunch of other sports sites as well. You can find all of the 1012 podcasts that cover the Big 12 teams over on 1012podcast.com and of course sports drink at sportsdrink.org. But make sure you visit the sponsors, prize picks, and home field apparel. But that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Welcome to Between Two Bears, the newest 1012 Network podcast. Uh, this is Matt is Bear. I'm going to introduce my co-host, Evan A. Bear, uh, to give you a quick idea of what the show is about. Yeah, Between Two Bears is going to be a it's going to be a great sorry Between Two Bears is going to be a great look at the silly and sometimes stupid. Between Two Bears is going to be a great look at the silly and sometimes stupid side of Baylor sports. Hey, I'm gonna try one more time. Between two. Bears. Okay, uh, Evan. Evan's gonna go take a nap. Um, but we are excited to join the 1012 Network along with the rest of their already great lineup of Big 12 podcasts. Check them out at 1012 Network on Twitter and us as well at Matt is Bear and at Evan Haybear. Uh, Sick'em Bears.